From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for tuning in. Well, coming up on this Wednesday edition, last night the Senate advanced a temporary funding bill that, if approved by the House, will avoid a partial government shutdown at midnight on Friday. The question now is, will the House approve the measure? We're not going to get everything that we want, but we're going to stick to our uh, core conservative principles. We're going to advance fiscal stewardship. I regard this as a down payment on a real reform that we're going to do in the budgeting process and with the budget going forward. And I think much, much brighter days are ahead. That was House Speaker Mike Johnson earlier today. The question is, could the temporary funding deal get derailed by growing frustration that the border crisis is not being addressed? Also, those appropriations bills, what might be in them and when will we see them? We're going to talk with Alabama Congressman Robert Adderholt, a member of the House Appropriations Committee. And speaking of the border crisis, is the border blitz designed to overwhelm and break our immigration system? We're going to talk with Wisconsin Congressman Glenn Grothman about that topic a little later. Media reports say scientists in Beijing connected with the Chinese military have been experimenting with a new mutant coronavirus strain that is 100 percent lethal in humanized mice. Question is, are U.S. tax dollars funding this gain-of-function research? And is there a reason for concern? We're going to talk with Dr. Robert Malone, chief medical and regulatory officer for the Unity Project. And speaking of pandemics. And it may happen again. Mm, Of course, there are some people who say, oh, this may create panic. No. It's better actually to anticipate something that may happen because it has happened in our history many times and prepare for it. We shouldn't face things unprepared. Well, that was WHO Secretary General Tedros Ghebreyesus at the World Economic Forum in Switzerland. I'm going to talk about how you can weigh in on the World Health Organization's power grab with its pandemic accord or treaty. The Biden administration taking comments on that at present. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. And finally, last week, the Ohio House of Representatives voted to override Governor Mike DeWine's veto of the state SAFE Act. That's a measure that will protect children from the transgender movement's experimental drugs and surgeries. Well, now it is the state Senate's turn to override the governor. We're going to get the latest on that effort from Ohio State Senator Christina Rogner later on Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from Genesis chapter 40, where Joseph reveals how you can go from prisoner to prime minister. Now, you might recall the story. Pharaoh's butler and baker are thrown into prison where Joseph had been unjustly thrown himself. Both men have dreams, which Joseph then interprets. Then look at verse 4. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So how do you go from prisoner to prime minister? You stay focused on your purpose, serving and honoring the Lord. Joseph served the Lord in the dungeon by using his gifts and platform to minister to others. Joseph chose not to sulk or be embittered or angry over his mistreatment. Rather, he chose to serve. He could serve and minister from a place of disappointment because he had faith and confidence in the Lord. Have life's events taken you to a place that's less than the desirable? Well, don't look down. Look up, then look around. Remember your purpose and serve. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. All right, House Speaker Mike Johnson trekked to the White House today along with the other three House and Senate leaders where President Biden made his pitch for 
a supplemental spending package to aid Ukraine. Now, Republicans continue to insist that any such spending must be coupled with real border security measures to stop this daily stream of thousands of migrants crossing the southern border. Now, this discussion comes as the midnight Friday deadline for a partial government shutdown approaches. And Republicans in the House are, frankly, far from united on a way forward. And uh, we're going to be joined momentarily by Congressman Robert Adderholt, uh, on the, who's on the House Appropriations Committee. The, the House is actually voting right now. Uh, and I, I want to go to, to uh, another topic while we're waiting for Congressman Adderholt to join us. Speaking of uh, appropriations, where is government money going? Well, there was one uh, issue that rose to the top of uh, a stack of stuff. It's just hard to believe it is federal government spending uh, money on trans-inclusive sex ed for 14-year-olds. Now, what is that? Joining me now to talk about this, Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. All right. Trans-inclusive sex ed for 14-year-olds. Uh, I almost need a whiteboard to chart this one out. Well, it's. I, I think you can sum it up simply by saying that when you fail to teach children about God's plan for human sexuality, and when you fail to teach people about how beautifully and wonderfully they're made and this beautiful design for human sexuality that God has for us, then you're going to need programs like this one that they're spending $700,000 on over four years. It's beggar's belief that this stuff actually makes it through the vetting process in our federal government, where you would think there would be one person at, at HHS who would say, hey, wait a minute, what are we doing here? We're supposed to be about health care. But this is, in fact, the opposite of health care. So this is for young girls who identify as boys um, to give them sex uh, education training so that they do not become pregnant. Right. So they identify as boys, but they're going to engage in a behavior that clearly makes them not a boy if they're the ones that can have a baby. So when you start talking about things like pregnant people, this is going to lead to some confusion like this, right? <laughs> because women get pregnant and they do that because they have sex with men. And so clearly children who are 14 years old should be avoiding the situation entirely, regardless of how they may identify, right? The idea is to delay sexual debut and to reserve sex for marriage. And there are all, there's all kinds of, I mean, we know what God's plan is for human sexuality, but there's all kinds of social science that points to the fact that this really is what's but best for children, th th right? Th is to not have sex. I mean, this is nonsense. This is absolute, utter nonsense. And I'm, I'm, I'm quoting from the plan, the award description here. Youth who are assigned female at birth are at risk for negative sexual health outcomes, yet are effectively excluded from sexual health programs because gender-diverse youth do not experience the cisgender, heteronormative teen sexual education messaging available to them as salient or applicable. It's a laugh or cry situation, right? I mean, it's beyond, it's beyond ridiculous, and yet, you know, people are going to be harmed by this. 
children, vulnerable teens are going to be harmed by this. This is how your person. Yes, we're harming children in the process of spending money we don't have. I mean, we're thirty-four trillion dollars in debt, and this is why we have these these asinine programs such as this. And 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 here's another one. I, I got today. I actually got this uh, from the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, because under the previous administration, we actually worked with them when it came to the faith-based and neighborhood partnerships. Well, here's one, a webinar, Disaster Mitigation Preparedness, Response, and Recovery Resources for Artists and Art and Cultural Institutions. Um, you know, where does this stop? I mean, it's like we have this endless supply of money. We're just trying to create creative ways to spend money. Well, I mean, there's a crisis on the border that I think Homeland Security could help deal with, and it wouldn't matter if you were artistic or not. There's a level of human suffering there that requires redress. Well, maybe they need a picture, right? Maybe they need somebody to draw them a picture to show draw them the how bad of the it is. Crisis at the border. Right. I mean, well, but, but this is it, it, it is laughable, but it's also, as you said, it, it make you cry when you realize that th- this is just one of many programs that are out there that are harming teenagers, misleading them. And, and we're doing it with government money. So we're, we're being forced into this into this process of harming children. And this generation of children that you're harming are the ones who are supposedly going to pay the bill that comes due when we spend this money that we don't have. Yeah. I mean, this is beyond belief. Right. Uh, Meg, I got uh, I got Congressman Adderholt. He's joining us by phone, so I'm going to go over to him. Thanks so much for uh, joining us, and, and let me know what you find next time on the, the in the government trough, okay? Great to see you. All right. Uh, Joining us now from the House floor by the by phone is Congressman Robert Adderhold, who serves on the House Appropriations Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Alabama. Congressman, thanks so much for uh, working us in there. Yeah, Tony, thanks. I, I literally, I just walked off the House floor, and uh, I apologize for being no, a no, bit no, late. No, 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 no problem. So glad to be with you. We, we want to very quickly go to the this temporary funding bill passed the Senate last night. What are the prospects there in the House? Well, I think it'll pass. Uh, I know the I, – I, I just actually saw uh, the speaker just a few minutes ago. Uh, I mean, he is – as you know, he's put in a very difficult position on this. We've got all the – all the uh, the Democrats have lined up against us. You've got the uh, Senate controlled by Schumer. You've got the White House. And then we've got the slimmest majority that the Republicans ever had has ever had in the history of this country. And so uh, the the goal, my goal, is to try to buy a little time to keep from doing an omnibus. Right. And to me, I see this is the, you know, while a CR is never a good thing to do, if it's to try to keep from doing a, something worse, then, then it's certainly an option. And that's why I think we have to look at it that way so that we can try to I'll keep from doing a big omnibus, because that's what the Democrats want is an omnibus bill. So this and, would uh, buy you time until the 1st of March. Uh, it's a laddered exactly. approach. you got 1st of March for por- portion of these and the 8th of March. The House has already uh, approved, I think, uh, six. Seven. Is it six or seven, seven. of the 12? Seven, seven of the 12. Yeah, I think seven now. So is there any yeah, commitment so- on the Senate side to actually begin passing their si- uh, appropriation bills over there? Well, if uh, if they're not, then we can go to conference and 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 they can deem it, uh, and you know go straight to the to the floor with the 
with with the bill is my understanding so we we could we could find a way to make it work but the thing about it is that is that uh, you know they're slow walking this and uh but we can't let them just do an omnibus and right. that's what we're trying to avoid and they would like for us to do an omnibus this week and but you know there's, i mean obviously we keep we don't have the bill written it's not will work but uh but that's what ultimately they'd like to see but uh, we have got to and i like i said i you know anybody that knows mike johnson i know you know mike johnson you know he is not a big spender right he is not someone he's always wanting to do what he can and he is fighting as hard as he can but it's like he's got his hand one hand tied behind his back fighting of you know not only the presidency but also the um the senate and um it's just and then with the house margins it's just it's just difficult it's so um, there's not there's not unity there among republicans i mean it that's that's one of the things that's really needed to find a way forward where the republicans can all be together i'm not sure what that is but yeah, the problem is so great. We've got to find a way to come together. Robert, we're uh, we're up against a break out of time. Thanks so much for uh, well, for joining. Well, thanks. Let me be on for it. Always good to be with you, and thanks for the work you do at Family Research. All right, Congressman Robert Adderholt, thanks so much for joining us. All right, folks. According to a study from a top Chinese lab, scientists using gain-of-function research have created a new strain of COVID that is 100% deadly in mice. Now, why? Why is this being done, given the global impact of the previous coronavirus lab leak? Why is this research being done? I'm going to discuss this with Dr. Robert Malone after the break. Stay tuned. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. 
Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, in a development that is sure to remind many of the Wuhan lab incident, Chinese scientists have experimented with a mutant coronavirus strain that has proven 100% lethal to genetically modified mice. Now, according to this study released from Beijing, the deadly virus known as GXP2V attacked the brains of mice that had been engineered to reflect the genetic makeup of people, human beings. Now, given the death toll and the economic havoc brought on by COVID-19, why are scientists continuing such dangerous studies? How should governments worldwide reckon with this? And is the United States funding any of this? Should we be concerned? With me to talk about this, Dr. Robert Malone, chief medical and a regulatory officer for the Unity Project and an internationally recognized physician scientist who specializes in advanced development of medical countermeasures to infectious diseases. I think we're getting him connected. Uh, this is quite alarming uh, if what we're reading is in fact true that this uh, that these scientists are again doing gain of function research with a a virus, a coronavirus, uh, given the fact that uh, we know what happened last time. Joining me now is uh, Dr. Malone. Dr. Malone, welcome back to the program. Thanks a lot, Tony. I concur this is alarming, and they seem to have learned nothing. Is the United States involved in this? Well, we do know that the United States provides funding through a variety of different sources to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So indirectly, that's got to be the truth. Uh, is it directly involved? I, this is too early to tell. And I don't think that's disclosed in the manuscript that you're citing. Right. But uh, there's no question that our fingers are all over the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the research going on there, and particularly the coronavirus research. Okay, I, I want to ask this question. Why? Why Why would we be doing these uh, types of research, especially given what happened with COVID-19? Uh, Tony, um, I, I have to speculate because I can't get into the minds of the people that are doing this. Uh, that's kind of rule number one. But uh, there is an ethic that if things can be done, they should be done that is rampant in this uh, research Environment in this in this research culture, uh, that 
these scientists often believe that they're the best and the brightest and they're entitled to do this. Now, beyond that, there is this uh, uh, contrived logic that this dual function research is what it's technically called because it can be used for weapon purposes or for uh, uh, research and discovery purposes. Uh, the, the belief is that if we can, if scientists can meddle about with these viruses and demonstrate ways that they can become more lethal, then they can anticipate that happening in nature. That's, that's the justification. But clearly what we've learned over the last four years is that that's not sufficient to justify the risk to the global population. I, I would think that at some place ethics would come into this when you, I mean, when you, you just, you'd laid out, maybe we can do it. Maybe there might be a remote chance that we want to get ahead of this. But when you weigh the risk with this and the fact that people will die if it leaks, like many suspected did last time, where, where are the ethical considerations? Well, thanks for saying that. And this is what I originally highlighted when I kind of came out of the closet metaphorically on the COVID crisis is the uh, gross ethical failures that were ongoing. And of course, we're here on a pod, on a broadcast that's very focused on the role of religion, theology, and its importance in the world in guiding our ethical decisions. I, I argue that this really has to be revisited in a major way. We need to have uh, the biowarfare treaty renegotiated. And there, I argue that there needs to be a global ban on this type of research and development activity. It's clearly not safe. And those that are performing it clearly have few, if any, ethical boundaries. We've, you know, th this is a gross failure of education, but we're talking about the CCP. So their ideas of, of what is justified are not aligned, let's say, with classical Western thought. But we, as Americans, by through our government, should, should be nowhere in the neighborhood. I mean, but by being a part of what they're doing, we're funding it. And so indirectly, we're, we bear responsibility as a nation. Funding, funding, and we provided technology transfer to there through EcoHealth Alliance. Tony, I concur. This is deeply troubling. And uh, as I've observed before, and as have many others, we're in a post-truth environment. Mm -hmm. and we seem to also be in a post-ethical environment for a large segment of our government. Uh, it's, it's driven by other considerations, uh, you know, real politic, uh, Henry Kissinger's world, rather than uh, the logic of the United States as the shining city on the hill and the ethical beacon for the world. Uh, we seem to have just abdicated that role. Do Americans need to be concerned about the revelation of this research? I mean, beyond what we're talking about from a very practical uh, election impacting, life impacting, could we see a revisit of what we saw with COVID-19? Well, this gets into this issue of disease X, which is uh, a major focus right now, in addition to, quote, rebuilding trust at the World Economic Forum. And disease X is uh, repeatedly broadcast through corporate media over the last few days 
as 20 times more lethal than COVID-19. How they came up with that number, I have no idea for a theoretical disease, but uh, it, it absolutely, the logic here is being used to justify a major revision of power, increase in power and funding for the World Health Organization, uh, the international health regulations, the new pandemic treaty, all this is coming to a head. Yeah as we're rushing into both American and European elections. Uh, Dr. Malone, we're up against a break, but it almost is as if the, the, the WHO working in concert with uh, the CCP, and I'm not... And the web. I mean, it's like Absolutely. they've got a hand no grenade question. with their finger on the pin saying, yeah, approve no, this treaty this is, because this is out there. This, this, this is pretty in your face. Yeah. Uh, you may enjoy the essay we just put out today that blows open through a peer-reviewed article well, uh, we're going to have to uh, revisit yeah. that, Dr. Malone, because we're up against a break. But thanks so much for uh, joining us. Always great to see you. Folks, stick around. We're going to Ohio after the break. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Always love talking to uh, Dr. Malone, and we're going to continue our conversation with WHO a little bit later. We're going to be joined by Jim Roguski, uh, so stick around. Well, the Ohio House of Representatives voted last week to override Governor Mike DeWine's veto of House Bill 68. We've talked about that many times. Uh, this bill included a SAFE Act uh, in part. It also dealt with uh, women's sports, but it protected children from experimental gender procedures while installing rules to protect female athletes from confused boys and men. Now, the bill, uh, the, the, the House handedly overrode the, uh, the governor, but now it goes to the Ohio Senate. 
which will reconvene next week for their vote. Um, what can we expect? Join me now to discuss this is Ohio State Senator Christina Rogner. She serves as chair of the Ohio Senate Oversight Committee, responsible for initially putting this bill forward in the Ohio Senate. She represents Ohio's district, Senate District uh, 27. Senator, welcome to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Tony. It's great to be with you. So how are you feeling about uh, next week's vote on the override of the governor's veto? I'm feeling very optimistic that we will be able to override his veto, just as the House did last week. Uh, in fact, they came back with a few more votes than they had even the first time um, to override the veto. I believe we will do the same next week. Have you been hearing from uh, your constituents and others in Ohio uh, since the governor vetoed the bill? We have. My office has been fielding uh, phone calls and emails, and I do ask them every couple of days how those are coming in. Uh, and it's definitely overwhelmingly in favor of the veto override. So you helped advance this on the Senate floor. It's a, a measure we've talked about going all the way back to, to Arkansas, working with policymakers there. Why is this legislation so important for protecting children in Ohio? Well, not just in Ohio, but across all, well, the entire world, quite frankly, but certainly our 50 United States. I mean, this is important for multiple reasons. As you mentioned at the beginning, House Bill 68 uh, is the Protect Women's Sports Act, but it's also uh, protecting minors from any type of experimental like transgender surgeries and cross-sex hormones, et cetera. So on the, from the sports aspect, I mean, that that's a no-brainer. Um, you know, you, you, men, you, you're created with more muscle mass, you have greater lung capacity, denser bones, um, that's the way God made you. You're stronger generally. And that's um, so I think to you know, keep girls safe and to keep a more of a level playing field, I, we absolutely need to uh, protect that arena and keep it just for girls. On the SAFE Act, um, this is interesting because there have been some countries, such as Sweden, for example, that was a pioneer in this type of experimental uh, procedure where pe minors would suffer from gender dysphoria and then they would want to transition, right? <clears throat> well, you and I both know that God created them male and female, and God doesn't make mistakes. But um, So Sweden was one of the pioneers uh, to this, but they since have backtracked and have put the, really pushed the brakes on any of this type of surgery because of the harm that it can do in the long run. Uh, not to mention that minors aren't uh, ready to make such life-altering decisions so early. So for those reasons, to protect minors' Um, to protect girls, um, you know, we believe that this is important legislation to pass here in the state of Ohio, just like many other states have already done. Right. You're 22. Almost two dozen states have, have passed yeah. legislation like this. It, it, to me, and, and it sounds like to you as well, this is just common sense. But w when did common sense be, become, you know, no, number one, in short supply, but number two, so controversial? You know, that is a great question, and it's a sad state of our society today. This this shouldn't have to be legislated. Uh, to me, this is common sense. I mean, there, it's, there are clear differences between men and women. Um, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, God created us that way, and he does not make mistakes, and he created us in his image, and uh, and it's to be celebrated. Uh, and, and it's really sad when you see any person, but certainly young people, um, trying to work against their own biology. Mm. And 
uh, it just it just no, it doesn't end well. Uh, so happy to stand with my colleagues. Well, Senator, I want to thank you for your leadership on this. So last question for you. When do you anticipate the, the Senate voting next week? Uh, I would anticipate on Wednesday, so a week from today. Okay. We'll, we'll be watching yeah. that very, very closely. Again, Senator Rogner, I want to thank you for joining us today, but also thank you for your leadership there in the state of Ohio. My pleasure. Thanks for the interview. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, uh, be praying, and if you live in Ohio, I would encourage you to, again, contact your state senators and encourage them to, uh, to stand on behalf of children and protect them, protect minors. It, is, it, is, it goes, kind of go back to, goes back to what we were talking about with Dr. Malone, that we live in a, pro, a post-truth culture. I mean, how else can you come up with the failure to recognize what science and biology tells us? Just completely, you talk about deniers. These folks are deniers. They're deniers of truth. And it is a shame we have to legislate this, but we have to stand firm for truth. Lest our our children be carried away in this ungodless culture, this godless culture that is being advanced. All right. Coming up, uh, we're going to turn to the WHO. We're going to talk with Jim Roguski as uh, the WHO continues their push for this global power grab. Yes, and uh, there is a comment period here in the United States, the president, the Biden administration, pushing for this uh, pandemic accord, and they're allowing uh, citizens to, to speak into it. Not that they're listening, but it does slow the process down. And uh, it's an opportunity for you to let your voice be heard. We're going to talk about that next. Don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. 
it is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you uh, with us. Now, we're continuing to track the World Health Organization's pandemic agreement, accord, treaty, uh, and the process underway to enact this agreement. Now, as I discussed yesterday, the Biden administration's Health and Human Services Department is currently seeking feedback on a portion of this proposed agreement that could seriously undermine Americans, America's national uh, sovereignty, our free speech, human dignity, um, so this public comment period uh, ends next Monday, January the 22nd, very small window. But you can submit a comment expressing your concerns uh, for giving more power to an unelected, unaccountable international organization uh, that threatens national sovereignty, free speech in our families. Uh, all, all you need to do is text WHO to 67742. That's W-H-O to 67742, or you can go to frc slash W-H-O and uh, sign. Uh, we'll walk you through that process of making comments. Very easy to do. But not that they're listening, but it, it slows the process down. At least it gums it up, makes them have to do something. In the meanwhile, we're doing other things. Um, in fact, the Secretary General of W-H-O, Tedros, was uh, at the World Economic Forum in Switzerland, talking about the need for this. Well, joining me now to discuss the latest on this is Jim Roguski, a member of the Law and Activism Committee at the World Council for Health, and uh, probably better than anyone else is on top of this tracking uh, the every move of the WHO. Jim, thanks so much for uh, joining me on today's program. Well, you know, thank you very much for having me. And, um, you know, do you want to talk about um, incompetence on a national level? Um, uh, international level, or would you rather talk about fraud? Uh, all um, the above. Because they've got it all going on. We're talking about WHO. It's all the above. <laughs> exactly. So the incompetence on a national level is, um, for the last two years, the Democratic Party and the Biden administration have failed to um, confirm a representative for the United States to attend next week's meeting of the executive board. Um, the uh, Appointment of Vivek uh, Murthy um, has been hanging there since 2022. There's only 34 members in the executive board. The United States um, 
had uh, an opportunity in 2022, 2023, and now in 2024, but they never got around to actually um, confirming their appointment, um, the Surgeon General, um, Felix uh, Murthy. So uh, that's just incompetence. Now, I, I think we should leave the WHO, right. but as long as we're obliged to listen to you know what they have to say, um, why have we not managed to choose someone to represent us? And you know, most people are completely unaware of you know, whether or not anyone is representing us. Uh, is that by design? Is that just so that it, we can, they could maybe absolve themselves of responsibility for what's happening over there? Well, you know, you get as much tyranny as you allow. And so, you know, they can attempt to absolve themselves. We have to hold them accountable. That's right. up to us. Right. The incompetence on an international level um, goes all the way actually back to October when the working group for the amendments to the international health regulation, they told us in, in you know, public, um, I've recorded on it, reported on it, and I believe we've spoken about it, their deadline to submit proposed amendments to the international health regulations that might be considered in May has to be four months in advance of that meeting in May, which starts on May 27th. So the very last day of this executive board meeting, January 27th, next Saturday, is the deadline for all of these amendments are supposed to be finalized and shared with all of the nations, which should then start a discussion and a debate in Congress and in the Senate. Um, but it appears that they're going to fail to provide that to reach an agreement. And that's not me making that up. That's them having said that way back in in October, if they fail to submit what they want to discuss four months in advance, they don't get to be like Nancy Pelosi saying, oh, you know, just vote for it. You can read it after we've passed it because they have in Article 55 a rule that says they have to give four months notice. But who will hold them accountable? Again, it comes down to us. We, the people, have to know the rules. We have to hold everyone to account. And that leads me to the fraud from 2022. Now, I've been involved with this since February and March of 2022. Short version of a long story. On May 28th, 2022, the World Health Assembly, which is the meeting of all of the delegates from the various nations, said that they voted to adopt amendments to five articles of the international health regulations. And unfortunately, they just kind of failed to hold a vote. Now, a lot of people talk about, you know, problems with election integrity. They've taken it to a whole new level. They just said they voted, but they didn't. Now, 18 months after that happened, on November 28th, we got a dozen members of the European Parliament to send a letter to the WHO Director General Tedros saying, hey, um, do you have any evidence that you voted to adopt these changes? And without that evidence, these are null and void. And, and so the, the level of ineptitude and corruption and just outright fraud, as far as I'm concerned, continues because at that same October meeting, they spent an hour, and I've documented all this, this is a conspiracy, it's not a theory, I have all the evidence, they discussed how they're just going to ignore the rules that they have to present everything four months in advance. They've already scheduled meetings for February and April. They want to try to be like Nancy Pelosi and negotiate right up to the last minute. 
and you know drop whatever amendments they would like to have at the last minute before the assembly begins in May. And I've just been doing everything I can. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you and your audience. We need to know the rules and we need to hold them to account. If they don't show us four months in advance so it can be discussed, there should be committee meetings in Congress, there should be debates on you know the media. Um, we have to make that happen. We, the people, have to understand that they're trying to cheat, they're trying to slip something through, but we have to watch them like a hawk and report on it. That brings me to a question I asked Dr. Malone. Uh, Robert Malone was on with us earlier in the program, and, and today Tedros is over at the World Economic Forum talking about disease X and why we need uh, the pandemic accord, this agreement. And at the same time, this report coming out of Beijing that there is a new coronavirus uh, that uh, is uh, been researched that is actually 100 percent lethal in, in mice. Uh, is this, you know, I asked him, is this you know, like the WHO holding a, a grenade with their hand on the pin, ready to pull it, saying we've got to have this pandemic power uh, in order to protect against these threats that are out there? Well, it's more like they've pulled the pin and they've tossed us the grenade. What this proposed, a different document than what I've been talking about. I've been talking about amendments to the international health regulations but with the proposed pandemic, now they call it an agreement, but it's really a framework convention, that has been, the, the intergovernmental negotiating body has been sent back to the drawing board, and they are busy rewriting that document. That is a little bit on the side burner because their meeting isn't until the end of February. They were told by the many nations, go back to the drawing board and do a rewrite because many of the nations are not happy because the bureau, the bureaucracy, is not listening to what the nations have submitted and said they want in the document, which yeah. may actually be good because what, what they're trying to set up is what they call a pathogen access benefit sharing system. They want to spend billions of dollars seeking out the next pathogen with pandemic potential so that they can cook up more drugs and jabs and fear monger more people. Uh, that isn't how you would try to stop the next pandemic. Right. That's actually how you would build out the industry that profiteers from Exactly. Who, who would then want it? Because this is what they've been made for. Uh, this is their, that's their purpose. Uh, Jim, got to run. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, let us know the next move that they make so we can continue to track it. And we'll be talking with our friends on the Hill to try to uh, wave those red flags to get, get uh, things happening here in D.C. Thank you very much. All right, uh, folks, again, te text WHO to 67742. You can do the comment period. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to continue tracking these other aspects of the WHO. All right, uh, among the many crises fueled by the Biden administration's mishandling of the southern border security is, is a growing court backlog for migrants seeking asylum. Now, currently, more than 3 million cases are awaiting hearing. Uh, including one million from the last fiscal year, more than triple the number in 2019. Well, earlier today, the House Oversight and Accountability Committee held a hearing to address how the Biden administration's own policies are undermining U.S. immigration law. Is this designed to break the system intentionally? 
Joining me now to discuss is Congressman Glenn Grothman. He serves on the House Oversight and Reform Committee, the House Education and Labor Committee, and the House Budget Committee. He represents the 6th Congressional District of Wisconsin. Congressman Grothman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Glad to be on this show. Our country is in, under attack in so many ways. So uh, 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 is this intentional? I mean, the, the court system that's supposed to deal with those who come into the country who are they're arrested, they're detained, and then they're given a slip of paper and are told to appear before court. That's how this is happening. Um, three million of those cases. They're, they're decades away from an actual court date. In the meantime, they're here in the United States. From testimony today, is this designed to break the system? The only thing you can say I would hope anybody but a child would realize you cannot have unlimited immigration in the United States. We're now at a point where every month over 300,000 people are coming into our southern border. And that's from countries all around the world. Uh, to give one example, um, we recently went from under 100 to over, uh, I believe it is, 24,000 Chinese crossing the border. And I like the Chinese, but I mean, uh, you know, you got to look out for that. Uh, under President Trump, when he left office, we were usually under 20,000, sometimes under 10,000 a month. Now we've increased that by a factor of 30. I mean, the only way that makes sense is you want to fundamentally change and destroy America. And it's not something they need Congress to turn around. It's something that President Biden did all by himself by getting rid of the stay in Mexico policy. Right. We have experts in the field that says President Trump could get rid of about 85% of the problem, as we heard today, just by sending people who are trying to cross the border back into Mexico pending a hearing. But he won't do it. Right. And you have to ask yourself, why does President Biden the only conclusion is wants to destroy America. I and mean, why else would you let 300,000 people a month in the country? So this is a fight the Republicans are going to have to have. Although you don't have all the mechanisms, you do have the purse. This is where the funding has to be dealt with. And, and, and the problem is it's personal. It's a humanitarian crisis as, as well. Now, you, during today's hearing, you asked about the abuses that migrants suffer from these cartels. What did you learn? Anybody who's down on the border knows that because the drug cartels are telling everybody that now is the time to come in America, people are coming here and inevitably risking their lives because they're told now is the time to come. We see people drowning in the Rio Grande River. In the past, I've been in the San Diego sector and watched people drown in the Pacific Ocean as they try to get around a, a giant fence mm -hmm. we have going right. in the Pacific Ocean. I have heard about people dehydrating to death in the Arizona desert. The number of women who are sexually assaulted is through the roof, uh, just, just scandalous beyond belief. But when you have a border controlled by the drug cartels, I guess you can say, what are you going to expect? But women either don't know this is going to happen or they put up with it because they have been told that now is the time to come into America. And that's being driven by the lawlessness of the Biden administration, refusing to enforce the law. That includes the Secretary of Homeland Security, who by law was to build the border wall and to protect that border. 
Are we going to see him uh, impeached? I think we're getting somewhat close to the election. Uh, the Republicans, A, do not have the votes in the in the Senate to convict, and B, in the House right now, depending upon the week, we have a two or three vote majority. Uh, I think right now there are going to be more than two or three Republicans who don't want to take that vote. I think we are probably going to see an impeachment of Mayorkas, the whole uh, this uh, um, cabinet member in charge of the southern border. Right. But I'm not sure. Uh, if we're going to see an impeachment of President Biden, in part because the Republicans have such a slim majority, and in part because you're not going to get a conviction in the Senate right. anyway. Well, let's start with Homeland Security. Uh, Congressman Grothman, great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us today. Well, your listeners just have to remember, up by a factor of 25 to 30, the number of people crossing the border compared to where we were three years yeah. ago. This will destroy America. It, Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Glenn. All right, folks, uh, again, need you to weigh in on this. This is where uh, your participation matters. That's why we're here. We've got to make a difference. Text the word BORDER to 67742. BORDER to 67742. I was up on the Hill this morning talking with members about how we have to have this fight over the border. We've got to secure our southern border. Help us out. Help me. Text the word BORDER to 67742. All right, until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 